You're listening to episode 29 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Tara, he's Alex, and you might not have noticed that the Cardinals are struggling because the Blues are soaring. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Thanks for checking out another episode. I hope you have enjoyed what you've heard, even when the Cardinals haven't been particularly enjoyable to watch. We try to match, well, maybe not match their level of, let's let's not do that, Alex. Let's not try to match what the Cardinals are doing, but maybe we can match what the Blues have done, at least in this last little stretch. They've been far more interesting to watch, even for the two of us mildly interested hockey fans. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been, I don't want to say it's been a downer. That's not the right word, but I keep hearing a lot of Cardinal fans saying, well, you know, the Cardinals are a disaster and would be ruining my life, but at least I have the Blues. Uh, well, I'm not even really a Blues fan, so I don't even have like this. Like, what? it's not fair. Like, what do I get out of out of all this Cardinals misery? I need something. Like, I need like the, I guess, the Illini basketball team to land like a five-star recruit or something just so I can have uh, a nice pick-me-up. But no, it, it makes me very happy for my... Uh, fellow uh st louis fans fellow blues fans um because they're very excited as they absolutely should be this is uh from what i understand has been very great and they're up now three to one um and looking like they have a very very good chance to win this game and go to the stanley cup finals and that's huge and that's really really cool for the city of st louis we have the last couple of weeks given you updates throughout the show on the baseball games that we're watching. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we figured we'd just continue that tradition with the hockey that's on at the moment. Uh, one, because it's it's on and the Cardinals are actually rained out today, but also because it's just more interesting at the moment. We'll get to that in a minute. But you're right, Alex, it's been fun. I've sort of joked for the last couple of years that I really wanted to get more into hockey. Um, and I am bandwagoning hard <laughs> with the St. Louis Blues right now. And it's it's one of those things where you watch a few games, you get a little bit invested, you you do something superstitious and say on the internet that they that they score goals when you're watching, and then everyone expects you to watch every game. So here I am watching uh, pretty much every every St. Louis Blues game as far as or at least as far as work permits. But it has been interesting. I'm learning a lot. <laughs> there are a lot of things about about the game, about references, about things that are mentioned during hockey games, and also like the intensity of hockey Twitter. It is yeah. a whole nother ball game. <laughs> so I, I was going to say, like, um, you know, especially during regular season, I'm, I'm just not totally interested in the blues, but I can't mute. 250 people uh you know nor do i want to right like these are these are people i'm following for a reason uh but yeah i feel like i follow the blues just because i follow these people on twitter and uh we're we were talking about this earlier but obviously there was a very bad call and uh was that game three uh yes okay but but that aside it really feels like following uh blues twitter and i'm sure this is every hockey twitter that Every game, the fans are convinced the refs are trying to screw them. <laughs> like literally every game, I feel like, like oh my gosh, you know, will we ever catch, you know, <laughs> catch a break? And you know, I used to follow the Blackhawks kind of closely, and I guess I kind of remember it being like that. But it's just such a different ebb and flow than a baseball game. 
it's so funny to me. I keep because my my brain understands baseball, but when I'm watching hockey, I mean, anytime there's a play that gets anywhere close to a possibility of a goal being scored, the the cheers are you know, building all, all around the arena. And it's just funny to me because I, I was thinking about it. You know, can you imagine if every time, you know, uh, Paul Goldschmidt took a swing, everyone preemptively cheered. That's sort of what it feels like to me when I'm watching hockey. Um, And I love it. I love the energy. It's a lot of fun. You know, I've been to some uh, like minor league hockey games, never been to uh, an NHL game, but the energy is, is, totally different than any other sporting event I've ever been to. And I think a lot of that translates to what you get in, in hockey Twitter. I think I said the other day, like, I don't know if I can keep up because it's just, it's a, it's a level of intensity. I don't know if I've, that I've ever tapped into um, as a sports fan in general, much less <laughs> uh, in some, some public form on the internet. <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm happy for all of them. I, like I said, I, I kind of was always a, a very fair weather Blackhawks fan. Um, I would get into them a lot when they were really good. Um, and, and I guess that meant the Blues were supposed to be uh, like one of my rival teams, but I never really looked at it that way. I, I don't know if it was because of my love for the Cardinals and St. Louis or whatnot, but I always just disliked the Red Wings more than, certainly more than the Blues. So, although I knew some Blackhawks fans that really hated the Blues. But no, I always, I appreciate the Blues. I like their fan base. I hope they pull this out. As do I. It's been a lot of fun to watch and I, I would like for it to continue. I also think that if there's anyone on the face of the planet who has the temperament to be an NHL goalie, which I think has to be one of the most terrifying positions in all of sports, it has to be Jordan Pennington. From what I've seen, the kid is just completely unflappable. Like there's no emotion. Well, <laughs> maybe, maybe yes as well. Um, but man, he's the everything that I've seen from him. It's, it's fascinating because it's a position that I, I feel like that lack of emotion completely is totally an advantage. And I don't know that that's really the case in, um, you know, a lot of positions in sports, you, you thrive off of the emotion of the moment and the intensity. And this kid's just like, nah, I'm, I'm good. I'm cool. Whatever. <laughs> and it's fascinating to me. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun watching hockey. It's been a lot of fun seeing people enjoy this run. And it's, it's been to me in, in many ways, a reminder of how great of a sports town St. Louis really is. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we talk about it with the Cardinals all the time and the, the unfortunately St. Louis sports fans took a lot of heat when the Rams left, but man, the way that they've rallied, not only to continue to support the Cardinals as their season begins, but in the ways that they have with the blues, it's St. Louis is such a cool sports town. And, and I think that, you know, maybe it's being showcased a little bit by what the blues are doing. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why I'm happy they're doing well. And I hope they go to the finals just because it'll, I want it to be like a commercial for the city. Cause I think the city's really cool. And I don't, I think the city has gotten a bad rap for various reasons the last couple of years. And a lot of people don't know how much history is in that city, you know, that there is more than just like to the downtown arch area and that there really is a lot going on there. So yeah, I, I hope, you know, this, if they can make it to the Stanley cup, this will be nothing but good for everyone there. And it's cool. You know, this is something that people, many people haven't had the chance or the possibility to experience in their lifetime, which is uh, just a fun thing, like you said, to be a little bit removed from it and kind of a fan from a distance, not not so intensely invested that I'm emotionally 
incapacitated yeah. one way or the other. <laughs> yeah, but if Illinois can go ahead and go to the Final Four next year, that would there you go really really make me feel better about all this. I think, but yeah, I'm the happy, little right? the little that I know about Illinois basketball is that that's going to take some work. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's probably not going to happen next year. <laughs> it, it could happen soon, but not next year. There you go. Well, it is always nice to have a, a second sport to at least bring some attention or take some attention away from when the primary one is so bad. And and that's really the deal with the Cardinals right now. Um, we've gone almost 10 minutes into uh, a baseball yeah, podcast without talking about baseball. And there's yeah, good reason for that. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want to keep talking about hockey or about basketball, we could talk about tennis for all I care. There might be more interesting content there to talk about than baseball right now. And that's Alex really where I come down on this is that <sighs> I just don't really have anything to say about the Cardinals right now. They're just super uninteresting. Yeah, they're so frustrating. The uh, losing three or four to Pittsburgh at home just still uh, gnaws at me because you just yeah. can't lo- you just can't lose those games. You're going to need those are the type of games you're going to need to need to win at home. And that last game against Texas. You know, if they win that game, I, I almost feel like, and it's just one stupid game, and instead of being a one game over 500, they're only three games over 500. But I almost feel as though our conversation is different, especially oh, with yeah. the way they would have won with, you know, Fowler hitting that home run in the, uh, was that the eighth? Was that the eighth inning? Or the, the ninth. ninth inning? Yeah. yeah, the ninth inning. Like, that would have been a huge win. They should have won that they should have won that game and they didn't win the game for reasons we've seen throughout the season, which is kind of disappointing pitching, um, not capitalizing on, on certain opportunities. Although I don't want to, I certainly don't want to harp on the offense because the offense has been fine. Um, I I know there's, it's been frustrating watching them score 17 runs and then exactly zero runs the next game. But you know, we all know what the problem here and it is here and it's the pitching. I mean, you know the offense is actually pretty impressive. Well, like like they're they have a strikeout rate that's way below National League average. Their walk rate is way above. Their I guess they could be hitting more home runs. They could be uh, I, I think to, from like a fly ball to home you know home run to fly ball ratio they're in like the bottom third of the NL. So maybe slugging could improve a little bit. But you know it's really hard to complain about the offense. It's just the pitching and. You know, I don't want to have the same conversation we've had the last couple of weeks, but I, so I was trying to think today, and, I, and I'm curious what you think this number is, but and I think this is being conservative. I think like 92 wins is is kind of what I see winning the NL Central this year, and, and again, that's being conservative. It could be 95, 96. Well, the Cardinals at what 24 and 23 right now. That would mean they have to go 68 and 47 the rest of the way. And that's like, what, a 96, 97 win pace, I think, um, over the course of a full season. And I just don't see them being able to do that with the pitching staff in its current uh, iteration. I, I just don't know what else to say. I mean, one, I guess, what do you think wins the NL Central or gets into the postseason? And two, the team as is, do you think they're capable of doing that? Because I don't. I just I just don't think the pitching is going to be be able to carry them like that. 
I thought I had nothing really to say about this team. And then on Sunday night's podcast with Daniel Shapta, I went off on this like seven and a half minute soliloquy about how the front office should have known that they were going to need better pitching and they didn't do anything about it. So yes, I continue to think that that's a problem. We have talked about that a number of times. We talked about it all off season, that if there was a hole in this team, it was going to come in the starting rotation and surprise (laughs) that's been the biggest hurdle for this team is getting starting pitching to be any kind of consistent um, as far as what wins the division, I, I, f- I feel like that 92-93 win mark is probably at least going to be a, a number that would, would get you to the postseason. As far as winning the division, it could be more than that. But I really think that, that this division is going to be competitive enough that um, it, might not, it might not be a, a year where you see 96, 97, 98 wins from the team at the top. I, for all I know, the Cubs could run away with it again and, and turn it on and have the second half of their dreams <laughs> and we could be having a completely different conversation, but yeah, that 92 win Mark seems pretty fair to me as far as making the postseason. And you're right. It's hard to imagine this team playing at that pace based on what we've seen in the last month. It's easy to look at the schedule so far and say, okay, it's May right? There's plenty of time for them to make a move. But when you look at the numbers like that, it is a little bit shocking when you think, okay, they have to play at a completely different level than they have proven capable of playing for a sustained amount of time. Yes, they got off to that 20 and 10 start. That's great. Uh, They've fallen completely on their faces in the month of May. And those are games that (laughs) it's early, sure, but you can't get that back. And to assume that they're going to be able to just play out the rest of the season as if may never happened. I don't know if I buy that. And you're right. I do think that it's primarily the, the starting pitching that is a concern. I'm, I'm maybe a little more frustrated with the offense simply because I think we haven't really seen much offensive production from the guys who are supposed to be carrying this lineup outside of that, you know, three week stretch or so from Marcelo Zuna. Um, Paul DeYoung carrying the load is great. <laughs> I'm not really sure it's how this this lineup was drawn up as far as who was going to be, you know, the heaviest hitter of the bunch. But that's a, a different story. Yes, I do think the starting pitching is a concern. I think the starting pitching has always been a concern. I think anytime you put all of your eggs in the basket of potential, you're risking exactly what we're seeing. At this point, someone asked me the other day on Twitter, Alex Reyes was mentioned as a guy that, you know, he's on track to be ready and back and uh, in the rotation in June at some point. And someone said, well, why do you keep assuming that Alex Reyes is better than Michael Walker or anyone else who's already in the rotation? And the reality is we don't know that at all. We're still basing all of that on the idea of potential. And Reyes has far higher potential than probably like four of the five currently in the starting rotation. But it's still all just potential. They they don't have the Max Scherzer or the Clayton Kershaw or, you know, pick anyone's number one starter. They don't have that guy. And right now, quite honestly, they don't have a number two. They have like five, three or four starters at best. And 
that's not going to carry them on the days where their offense isn't quite clicking. That's that's been the problem since the offseason. That hasn't changed. And the front office, I said this on Sunday night, I think they might be too close to the situation to realize that the the young guys they have at their best might be able to compete with anyone in the league, but they're not at their best right now. And they don't have the wiggle room to make up for that elsewhere. Yeah. You, you know how like Tyler O'Neill has constantly looked lost. Um, yeah. Well, for them, maybe not constantly, but has looked pretty lost at least this season at the major league level. And then, it seems like every time he goes out in Memphis, he immediately slugs like 650, you know, <laughs> and, and is going just completely insane. I, I almost, maybe this isn't the best comparison, but I almost feel like that's the entire Cardinals pitching staff uh, mm-hmm. of the future. A bunch of just quadruple A guys who are slightly too good for Memphis, but not good enough to pitch uh, at you know, regularly at this level, which is fine for your number five starter. But I feel like that's there almost like three through five. You know, I, I just feel like th- they have too many guys who, who are like that right now. Um, yeah. You know, because you, you get rid of Hudson and I'm not going to have, uh, I, I guess I'm not going to feel much better about Gomber or Ponce de Leon being, being that, I guess, different from that profile. Uh, you, you know, being a Cardinals fan, there's kind of two teams that have broken my brain when it comes to analyzing um, this sport. And it's like the 2011 team just because, and I guess it's a good thing, but I just never, I always think like, well, maybe there's a chance they can still pull this out or they can still make a run and make the playoffs. Um, but there's also that like 2004 team because at one point they were 22 and 21. And then I kid you not, they won their next 80 of 110 games. Um, and I'm always thinking about that stupid team right around this time of season when the Cardinals are hovering right around whatever they are now at like 24 and 23. Um, like, hey, you know, it does, you know, they can still, you know, win 65 of, a, you know, of 100 or 70 of 100 and, all, and run away with the division. And obviously that's not going to happen. You know, that 2014, the offense was just insane. But their pitching, you know, they had – Chris Carpenter, who was a really good pitcher, uh, I, I feel like even Jason Marquis had a yeah. pretty solid season that year. And then you had a lot of very average to slightly above average pitchers. Uh, I guess Woody Williams, Supon, uh, who, who am I missing? I guess Matt Morris. Yeah, yeah, Matt Morris mm-hmm. probably yeah. had one of the, not the best seasons of his career, but he was close to average, I, if I recall. And we just don't have that this year. You, you know, I, we have two pitchers. Uh, who I think we would, you know, well, Michaelis's last start notwithstanding, who I think we would call above average. And we have three that I just almost dread every time they're going out to the mound now. And that, that's not good. That's not good in a division that's, that's as good as this one. And it's just, I don't know, something needs to change. And, and I, I want it to happen sooner rather than later. Yeah, and it's, I mean, we hear often from Mike Schilt. And I want to be clear when I'm saying this. A lot of people gave Mike Matheny a lot of grief for saying the same kinds of things. Every manager says these kinds of things. This is not a, a St. Louis managerial handbook uh, quote. Are you talking about like the post-game, just coach speak stuff? Yes. Yeah, that stuff doesn't bother me all that much. But yeah. there's got to be a point where, you know, even Mike Schilt, when he'll say things like, I got to trust my guys there, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is. 
he'll say things about how, you know, we want to make sure that our guys are feeling confident. That's every coach is anywhere. Every manager anywhere is going to say oh. stuff like that. So I would, I would caution people to not get too worked up about that kind of line from the manager, because as transparent as Mike Schultz has been, he's, they're always going to say stuff like that. But the reality has to be that, you know, this team needs, they need that guy that they know is going to go out on the mound and give them seven innings and give them a, a chance to win or be able to basically win the game himself. In some cases, if they put up one run, he's going to be able to shut it down. They don't have that guy. And as much as Miles Michaelis can be great, he hasn't been that guy this year, not because of the last start, but even at his best, he's not been that consistently. Jack Flaherty is still sort of flailing around a bit, trying to get deep into games. He's had a couple of starts where he's looked much better, but much better compared to what it was is, again, sort of a low bar. He's kind of been bitten by that one bad inning thing. And you just, I just feel like the great teams in baseball and, you know, the Brewers did what they did last year without maybe having that guy, but they also didn't end up winning the World Series either. The great teams in baseball have that guy as the anchor of the rotation. And we talked about it all offseason. Even if the Cardinals don't have the Max Scherzer, they still don't necessarily have that one two punch with a guy at the very top of that rotation who's been there, who knows the deal. He knows how to get it done. We've talked for so long about Carlos Martinez being that guy. And all of a sudden, not only is he not in the rotation, but he hasn't pitched at all until this last week, which is another thing we could talk about (laughs) for, for a while, I'm sure. But the guys in that clubhouse as much as they want to talk about, we believe in our guys, we know that we've got a great team, we're capable of winning, that's all all good and well. But Mike Schilt has to know as well that if that pitching isn't doing what it's designed to do, you know, at some point you're putting yourself behind the eight ball. And I know that's not a Mike Schilt decision as far as going out and, and making improvements to the rotation, but it's got to be hard for him to continue to answer those questions when, you know, he has who he has, and you've got to run him out there and and hope for the best at this point. So I, I want to say a few things about Schilt, but first I want to pivot to Mike Maddox since we're talking about the pitching. He, you know, when he was hired before the 2017 season, if I recall, I feel like the big refrain was that like, oh, finally we have a guy who's basically going to teach Matheny how to handle a bullpen. Who's going to mm-hmm. teach Matheny to this is when he pulled a starter. This Pitching point. coordinator. Yeah, basically. And that, that didn't happen at all. No. <laughs> uh, like, clearly, Matheny was still completely in charge, was still exactly the same guy he was from 2012 on. And I, I think back to the game on Sunday when, okay, Schilt gets tossed. Uh, well, when did he get tossed? Like the fourth inning? Yeah, it was early. Yeah. Okay. So Schilt gets tossed in the fourth inning. Marmel's the. Uh, is managing the rest of the game, correct? Yep. And then we see Jordan Hicks throw how many pitches in the eighth and ninth inning? Close to 40. Yeah. I, I feel like Maddox, at least there, should have the authority to say, he's thrown too many pitches. We need to get him out of there. Um, right. And it, it doesn't seem like that happened. Um, and look, look I, I am the last person to say, like, uh, he's a bad pitching coach. Because to be honest, I have no idea if he's a good co- 
pitching coach or a bad pitching coach. Like he had a certainly a good pedigree uh, in Milwaukee. Uh, and then with Texas, you know, he did pretty well with a Texas staff when Texas never had good pitching staffs basically throughout their entire history. And, and you know, he w- w- what happened in Washington was basically the same thing that happened to Dusty Baker, which is that, like, you know, he was basically just not asked to come back, which – <laughs> which, you know, I think we can blame that more on Washington versus Maddox. But I, I guess I'm getting at is like, are we positive this guy's good? I, I mean, I'm, I'm not. Like, I don't know what no, to say. No. Like, and I, I hate saying that because, again, I want to reiterate, I have no idea if he's a good pitching coach or not because it's hard to even know exactly what that job entails from the strategic uh, standpoint, from the like, you know, this is how I'm going to, you know, this is how I'm going to have my pitchers attack batters. And also just from like the stuff I was talking about earlier, which is like, does he even have a say in like when to pull the starter, you know, who's, who's the bullpen arm that should be coming in here. But, but I do think it's a valid question, especially when you think back to how much we got on Mabry all the time. Anytime the offense was bad, it was Mabry's, um, you know, Mabry caught a lot of crap for that. And, you know, that could have been deserved too. Certainly I don't, um, we never had much reason to think he was an excellent hitting coach. Um, but, but it just seems like he hasn't like that for all the people who have, who have caught the blame and believe me, he's not at the top of the list for me at all. When it comes to handing out blame this season, it seems like I never hear his name mentioned though at all. And maybe it should be. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that it's always interesting to me in these situations where, we hear and we reiterate, well, they know their guys better than we do, except we all knew what was going to happen in that inning. <laughs> like we all knew how that was going to play out with Jordan Hicks, right? There was no way that ended any differently than it did. So I would hope that he knows Jordan Hicks better than I do from a distance, but that situation seemed so incredibly obvious as far as how it's going to play out. Again, I, maybe it's a situation where they're a little too close to the situation to see it without the, I don't know, the complexity of knowing the possibility of Jordan Hicks. But to your point, where's Mike Maddox on that? Yeah. No, What's his role? If right. not to say, Hey, this is a bad idea. And if he can't tell Oliver Marble that it's a bad idea, then what what are what is he doing there? What what is happening with whatever that role was supposed to be and is now? And I think it's totally fair to question that because it's not one guy that has struggled. It's the entirety of the starting rotation. It's innings. I mean, the bullpen for the most part has been pretty good, but it's situations like that that have cost games where you would like to think that everyone watching at home doesn't have a better idea of what's going to happen than the guys who actually get paid to make those decisions. So it's, it's still very frustrating. And when the pitching is the problem, just like when the offense was the problem last year, the guy whose job it is to prepare that part of the game certainly should be at least under the microscope, I think. Well, yeah. And I can certainly say that wasn't the first time I've watched a baseball game where a uh, marmal was in charge and then a lot of uh, bad pitches led to uh, a team uh, with a walk-off win. But, uh, it was more fun it, the other yeah, way, though. It was, it was, it was <laughs> um, what I wanted to say about Mike Schilt, and it really isn't even about Mike Schilt, but it's more about like just the uh, – 
because uh, I'm, I'm still just kind of agnostic on Schill. I like him for a lot of reasons, um, but I'm still not 100% positive that he's the answer. Um, almost to no fault of his own, but my problem has always been that, you know, I, I think Mosaic is excellent at what he does. Um, his track record speaks for him for itself. I think most people would say the biggest mistake he's made and, you know, there's, there's no shame in that every, you know, baseball whiz, GM, whatever makes a mistake, makes several mistakes, makes big mistakes. But I think the biggest mistake he made was Matheny, right? I, I think most people would agree yeah. on that was hiring Matheny and then kind of doubling down on Matheny when they extended him after the 2016 season, the day after you know, the Cubs won the world series. <laughs> well, to me, that just magnified how important it was to get this hire right. And I'm not saying Schilt isn't the right hire. I'm just saying I it, it never sat right with me when they basically signed him to a contract, what, 30 games into his? I don't remember how many games it was. But, yeah, but without, it was quick. Yeah, without having a real managerial search when there are very qualified candidates out there. I just thought it was doing the organization a disservice. Uh, so it's not Schilt's fault at all. Um, it's it's more of the process that got him, for me at least, where he is. And I, and I think he's obviously very deserving. He was very deserving to be a candidate for that job and maybe even to have the job. But I just wanted there to be an actual, I guess, real-life search just because of how it went down with Matheny and how – with the organization where it is, which is in a position to contend, we just can't afford to mess that part up again. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I'm just thinking this through as I'm listening to you talk. So this is, this is sort no, of a no, I want you to workshopped re- idea here, but because I, I really like Mike Schultz. Tell me where I'm, yeah, no, so tell me where I'm I like Mike Schultz in a lot of ways. I think that there's a lot of value to his approach with, with the players. I do, however, think that he's not as infallible as he seemed at first, right? And we've seen him in this stretch of May just not be able to pull the right strings. And a lot of what we've seen this month is about execution, not necessarily about strategy. But there have been some strategy mistakes as well. I continue to wonder how long you run that same lineup out there without ever changing it and expecting a different result rather than trying to manufacture a different result by doing something different in the process. But here's my question. I've often been a bit critical of John Mosellock for overvaluing prospects, whether it's expecting too much of a guy when you bring him to the major league level a la Dakota Hudson, perhaps, or in holding on to prospects because you can't get what you consider to be enough in return for them on the trade market. Is it possible that that is an overall philosophy of John Mosellock where his guys, maybe the his guys thing isn't a Mike Matheny thing at all, but it's a John Mosellock thing. And he, he did the same thing with Mike Schilt that he does with the players. That's interesting. Okay. So, I think that's a very interesting theory. I think back to the 2009 draft and just how much currency Mosaic and company got out of that draft, which is when they basically hit on so many guys deep in the draft, guys who ended up, you know, being contributing players to, um, you know, to very good teams. Um, and, it, and it seems like 
like that has certainly overridden any bad drafts they've had over the years. Um, And so, no, I think that's a very good point that like, you know, they hit the jackpot one, one year. Uh, So who, uh, you know, I, this just came to me, so I don't have it in front of me who, who's 2009, but that was Carpenter, right? Matt Carpenter and what the, Mm, yeah, I, I should just look this up. I know Matt Adams. I believe that was the slippery rock Matt Adams year. All right, I'm just going to look it up right now if you bear with me. Yeah. Because um, I, I am curious. But th- this is the year that, like, everyone talks about, like, wow, they just nailed it. In fact, I believe, like, maybe SI did the uh, – I feel like SI did, like, an oral history of the Cardinals 2009 draft or something where they just talked about, like, all the guys they hit on. Um, okay, so I have right here – by the way, this is a really amazing draft, by the way. <laughs> all right, so uh, <laughs> round one, Shelby Miller, 19th pick. Oh, that's right. Round three, Joe Kelly. Okay. Uh, round five, Ryan Jackson. Uh, whatever. Um, 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 round thirteen, Matt Carpenter. Okay, then drop drop down. Round twenty one, Trevor Rosenthal. Round twenty three, Matt Adams. I mean, that's insane to get all those guys, um, all of whom were contributors to that two thousand thirteen team, if I recall. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not Ryan Jackson. I don't know. Whatever happened, well, whatever happened to Ryan Jackson? <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's a no one. Certainly, no one doubts how how awesome of the draft it is. I'm just going through to make sure there's there's no one I'm missing. Um, but yeah, they they've done really well uh, with drafts like that. I have lauded how well they are at developing players as well. I mean. Uh, Aledmus Diaz was a guy who was pretty much forgotten about, and then he's turned into a major league baseball player. Uh, Paul DeYoung obviously was not even one of the Cardinals' top-rated prospects, and right now, he, if the season ended today, he would be uh, top three MVP, top five MVP uh, in the National League. Um, I, I think that's undeniable. And, you know, obviously those are only two guys, but we could each name several more. So, yeah. so they do th- certain things very, very well. But I think... I think that's an excellent point that you made that the same philosophy of, you know, our guys, our guys, our guys extends sort of to the draft and their prospects. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, for not having a lot to say about this team. We've, <laughs> we've gone yeah. on for a while talking about this team, but it's, it's all, I feel like it's so much harder to kind of put a finger on what to, what to talk about, what to explain, what to analyze when, they're, they're just not winning. It's not, I mean, and it's pitching. We can, obviously we've talked about that, but there are so many ways that they're losing games right now that it's, it's not just one thing. And at some point, you know, Mike Schilt um, has to be a part of that conversation. Mike Maddox has to be a part of that conversation because they've got to win the games that are winnable. And that, that last game in Texas was certainly winnable. And that's just an example of one (laughs) in this last month. Um, That's, that's really all I have to say about the last week of Cardinals baseball. Anything else you want to add there? All I'll add (laughs) is, uh, so after they took three or four in Washington um, and they they lost that last game, which uh, at the time didn't seem like a big deal just because we were all on such a high with how well (laughs) they've been playing. They've been playing up to that point. Um, but at now it kind of seems like a, a tough loss because that was obviously a very, a very winnable game. But I remember dreading that Cubs series because I knew, you know, the standing said if exactly mm-hmm. what ended up happening, 
um, were to happen, then all of a sudden the, the Cardinals would be looking up to the Cubs. And, you know, we know how tough it is to play at Wrigley. Well, they end this month playing the Cubs, but this time I think it's actually an opportunity. Um, now I, I think if they have a chance, if they can win that series, I think that could really, I don't know. I mean, I hate saying things like this. <laughs> it's just three games over 160 <laughs> game season, but it's a really good opportunity to say like, no, for real, we're a good team. Um, yeah. we can, we can smack these guys around too. Um, we're not going anywhere. Uh, now can they do that with this pitching? It, I, I think it's tough, but you know, the offense is going to have to step up and, you know, put some runs on the board and give the pitching a little room, I guess, to do what they've been doing. So that's a lot. So I'm actually looking forward to that series, I guess is what I'm saying there. There's certainly plenty to still be looking forward to this season. Don't get me wrong. We're not, we're not shutting it down, but it's just been a very frustrating couple of weeks for sure. On that note, Alex, is there a chirp of the week? And I'm really hoping that it's less doom and gloom <laughs> than the rest of this there show has is, been. Uh, but first, I'm going to give an update on the NL batting race. Oh, yes. First, please. I just want to point out that Cody Bellinger, he's close to 200 plate appearances. He's batting 405. That's he's insane. insane. <laughs> um, and I've been really excited to watch this <laughs> all uh, the last couple of weeks. And, um, you know, I hope he can... I don't know. It'd be fun if he can stick up, stay above 400 into mid-June. Although, you know, that's obviously going to be really tough, but he's been, he's been that good so far. So who knows? Uh, Melky Cabrera, second, at 341. Josh Bell, third at 333. To find Paul DeYoung, you have to drop down to seventh. He's batting 320. So uh, currently 85 points separates uh, him and Cody Bellinger. So he has some ground to make up to, uh, to uh, certainly get to the top, but he's still hanging in there. And I guess more importantly, the uh, stats that we care about more, the stats that matter more, he's doing very well in. Wins above replacement, WRC plus, slugging, you know, he's uh, he's beating almost everyone in the O stats, but for, in those stats, but for Bellinger. So um, so we should all feel good. But yeah, he's, he's currently seventh. Jose Martinez has dropped to eighth just below Paul DeYoung uh, with a 319 batting average. But... Tara, Chirp of the Week. So we have this little kid's book uh, that we read to uh, our our kids, I guess. Um, it's more of a baby book. It's called Cardinals ABC. Have you ever heard of this book? Um, probably not. I have not, okay. but I don't have children. It's, so <laughs> it's, uh, it's your very standard kid's book. I bet they issue it for every MLB team. Um, it basically has each page has a letter and it has a Cardinals thing related to that letter. For instance, uh, B is Bush stadium. I'm flipping through it right now. C is uh, Cardinals. Oh, that certainly makes sense. Yeah. Really, F, really went out on a limb for yes, that one. Yes. F is Fredbird. Um, it's funny when you get to like, they really stretch on a few of these, like Y is yacker and in parentheses, it says curveball. Uh, do you ever call a curveball a yacker? I, I don't, okay. but I should. Uh, ooh, ooh, blue scored. They're up 4-1. They're probably going to go. There to we the, go. Uh, yeah. ooh, feeling like a little bit of breathing yeah. room now for the last, what, seven and a half? Yeah, six minutes, seven minutes. And Z, zigzagger for an erratic throw. Do you, oh. do, have you heard of this? <laughs> I have not. Like zigzagger. All right. <laughs> Next time I see an erratic throw, I'm going to call out the zigzagger. There we go. Um, G uh, is Gas House Gang. And the other day I was reading this to my uh, 
I usually read it to my one-year-old. This time I was reading to my three-year-old. He's in that stage where he asks what everything is. And he says, what is the gas house gift? And I said, well, that was um, a Cardinals team that was very good. And they won the World Series. Um, but then he asked, you know, why? Why is that their name? And, you know, I felt like I should turn in my Cardinals fan card um, because I really couldn't come up with what I was sure was the right answer. And, I, you know, I've read, look, 100 Things to Do or See if You're a Cardinals Fan by Derek Gould. You know, I've read those books. But I couldn't quite remember why they were called the Gas House Gang. I was like, I knew it was because like either like they were just always dirty all the time or like one of them worked in a gas house. And I, I don't even know what a gas house is. Um, but it's more the uh, – Tara, do you, know, do you know the answer? Do you want to educate us? Um, if not – No, please. Okay, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, all right. So, I, I remember – I know I've read about it here, before, yeah, but I can't know, remember. Yeah, so, so the Gas House Gang, um, some people think of it as like an era of Cardinals, but really it refers to the 1934 team that won the World Series. They beat the Tigers in seven, and that team had a lot of characters. It had Ducky Medwick. Uh, I think that's like one of the greatest nicknames ever, just simple and great. Dizzy Dean, he won 30 games that year. The last pitcher in the National League uh, to do that. Uh, you know, Leo DeRocher, uh, Pepper Martin. Uh, who else do we have on this team? Uh, Paul Dean, Dizzy's brother. Uh, uh, Ripper Collins. You know, just a lot of, lot of fun guys. And I was looking at the Sabre, uh, on the Sabre website, sabr.org, um, for their article about the Gas House Gang, because they always... Um, they always usually have good stuff on here. I know I've read it from this website before. And it sounds like it came from a quote from Leo DeRocher. And let me see if I can find it here. He was complaining about the American League and where he had played for a while. I believe he, he played with the Yankees. And he said, why? He said, why? They wouldn't even let us in that league over there. They think we're just a bunch of gas housers. Um, and then it says the phrase gas house referred to factories that turned coal into town gas for lighting and cooking common in U.S. cities until the widespread use of natural gas. The plants were noted for their foul smell and were typically located near rail yards in the poorest neighborhoods in the city. Another explanation holds that the name comes from Dizzy Dean, who played at City Park, renamed uh, McKenney Field in 1962, in Bradenton, Florida for spring training in the 1930s. The story goes that Dean liked the city so much that he bought a local gas station and hung out there when he wasn't playing. Um, now it sounds like the first uh, the first explanation uh, what uh, Derocher said is more likely the reason why they're called the Gas House Gang. I guess their their uniforms were always dirty. They didn't do their laundry very often. It sounded <laughs> like, and they were just constantly not cleaning their jerseys, wiping their noses on their jerseys, and they were kind of like seen seen as almost like uncivilized. Uh, that's what Derocher was talking about when he was saying like they wouldn't even want us in the American League because it was just a bunch of like rough and tumble scrappers and stuff like that. Um, but they were also incredibly arrogant. Uh, and any team with Dizzy Dean would probably be classified as such because Dizzy Dean was the mo one of the most arrogant uh, players to ever play baseball. Um, and so they talked a lot of trash and they basically said, we will beat anyone. We are better than anyone. And they turned out to be better than anyone. They won 95 games that year um, in a 154 game season and like I said, they ended up, they won the pennant and then they beat the Tigers uh, in seven. And that was also, you know, I named all those characters around that team. Uh, they were also managed by player manager Frankie Frisch. So that's another, uh, that's another great player that was on those teams. Um, 
excuse me, that was on that team. So yeah, that's a gas house gang. They were most likely called that because they were just very dirty. <laughs> um, and uh, also because they had such a class of characters uh, up and down that lineup. There was also apparently a song called Caroline by Old Crow Medicine Show. You know this band, right? Of course. Yeah, where, where they reference the Gas House Gang. Uh, I listened to it earlier today. It's not a bad song. Uh, and they do they do say something about the Gas House, the Gas House Gang. So if you want to listen to that song after you listen to this, uh, be my guest. But yes, that's the Gas House Gang. Um, almost always refers to the 1934 World Series team. They beat the Tigers uh, in seven. And uh, let's see. They also beat the Tigers in 2006, right? And they lost to them in 68. So yeah, we've had a lot of fun times with the Tigers. But yeah, that's your trip of the week, the Gas House Gang. If you uh, didn't know for sure why they were called that like I did uh, and felt embarrassed, uh, you can no longer uh, feel that way because now we know. Now you know. You can listen to that song once you're all done listening to Gloria like 9,000 times because that is what is about to happen. Alex, it's been a good show, even though we felt like we didn't have a whole lot to say. Turns out we had a lot more to say than we thought we did. But I uh, I think that's enough for now. We're going to let everyone go. And maybe they've listened to this in between their uh, recurring playlist <laughs> of Gloria. If not, well, you can get back to that now. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening to another episode of Chirps. Make sure that you follow both of us on Twitter. I'm at Tara Wellman. He's at AlexCard79. You can continue this conversation. Let us know maybe what letter of the ABC book Alex should share with us next week. And we can go from there. Uh, as always, we appreciate your interaction and your support and listening to the show. We'll be back with hopefully a much better week of Cardinals baseball to talk about next time.